There are some things that we learn how to do or we don't really even learn how to do them. We just do them instinctively. They're just a part of who we are as human beings. You think about becoming a person, coming into the world. Nobody has to teach us how to blink our eyes or even how to close them to go to sleep or how to breathe. Those are things that we just know by nature, by the virtue of the fact that we are human beings. But then there are other things like prayer that we don't learn instinctively, but we have to be taught. The Bible begins with God doing the speaking and talking to us. In Genesis 1 and verse 1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it's not until Genesis chapter 4 and verse 26, when Seth has a son named Enosh, that men begin to call on the name of the Lord. And from that point forward, there's an Old Testament filled and flooded with prayers from women like Hannah and men like David and Hezekiah. But as with everything else that we find in Scripture, especially as it relates to the Old Testament in comparison to the New, Jesus Christ comes on the scene and shows men and women how to do it better than it's ever really been done before. And the same thing is true when you think about prayer. You know, for us, this really isn't a problem. But for Jews, this would have been a struggle. They grew up praying their entire lives and they knew about people like David, who was God's friend and a man after God's own heart. And individuals like Abraham, who was called the friend of God in Second Chronicles 20 and verse 7. And people like Moses, who knew God face to face. And yet, when Jesus prayed, there was something different about his prayer life, his communication with God. And so they wanted lessons. Andrew read for us a moment ago from Luke 11 and verse 1 down through verse 13. But it's when Jesus prays in Luke 11 that they say, Lord, teach us to pray like John also taught his disciples. And their request is impressive. Because these men would later preach sermons, and yet they never asked Jesus for lessons on how to preach. Neither did they ever say to Jesus, would you give us gliding lessons so that we could walk on water like on pavement like you did? But they say, we want to talk to God like you do. If you think about his life, you know why they made the request. He would get up early in the morning and go out by himself to pray, Mark 1 and verse 35. There's not one occasion in the gospel accounts of Jesus ever putting a morsel of food to his mouth without first petitioning God to give thanks. John 6 and verse 11. He prayed all night before he selected the 12. Luke 6 and verse 12. He prayed earnestly before he went to the cross. Luke 22 and verse 44 and John 17 in the high priestly prayer. If there's one thing we know about Jesus is that he was in constant communication with his heavenly father. But there's more. Jesus teaches us how to pray by his example, but the Bible also says that he is God in the flesh. And so it means when Jesus teaches us how to pray, we have God teaching us how to talk to God. It doesn't get any better than that. And so if you have your Bible tonight, turn to Matthew chapter six. It's in the Sermon on the Mount right after Jesus had talked about his disciples relationship to giving. And right before he speaks of their relationship to fasting, that he gives us information on how we ought to pray. Matthew 6, 5 through 15, Jesus talks about what we should do in prayer and what we shouldn't do. And maybe you've thought before about prayer. I wonder if I'm doing this right. I wonder if I'm bothering God by making the same request over and over again. I wonder if I'm saying things in the right way so that I can reach up to God and actually be heard. Or does God care about the request that I'm making and how should I frame the words and get those things across? If you've ever had any of those struggles... If you've ever felt like prayer itself is a struggle, then Matthew 6 is for you. Let's begin tonight. What does Jesus teach us about how to pray? Number one, Jesus says, position yourself properly. In Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 5 down through verse 6, he says, And when you pray, Jesus assumed that we would. Don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your inner room. 
Shut the door. Pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. The first thing Jesus says to us about prayer is to position ourselves properly. You know, there have always been spiritual show offs. And the same thing is true about prayer. There have always been those who like the kid who rides his bike and says, look, mom, no hands. There have always been people who measure themselves by others and want others to see how deeply spiritual they are. But Paul said in Second Corinthians 10 and verse 12, if we compare ourselves by ourselves or compare ourselves among ourselves, we are not wise. Jesus puts the Pharisees out and he says they're hypocrites, they're actors in verse five. And when they pray, they do it for show. Don't be like them. They love to pray on the street corners and in the synagogue so that everybody can see how deeply spiritual they are. But prayer is not about acting. It's about asking. And Jesus says, I want you to make sure that you do this sincerely. Position yourself properly. One of the metrics that may be able to judge our prayers and how deeply sincere and serious we are is if we have the same fervor, the same piety and intensity in private when we pray that we appear to have in public. In Matthew 5 and verse 20, Jesus would say, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will in no way enter the kingdom of heaven. Don't be like the Pharisees. They're not genuine. They're not sincere. Don't pretend. In Luke 18, we read about a man. Two men went up to the temple to pray. The one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee prayed and said thus within himself, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like other men are. Extortioners, adulterers, heathens, and even like this tax collector. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. He's putting on a show. They only would pray if they had an audience. And Jesus says, when you pray, I don't want you to be that way. I want you to be genuine and sincere. Now, Jesus is not against public prayer. That's not his point. Jesus would often pray in public. He did at the grave of Lazarus in John 11 and verse 41. There are instructions in the New Testament in places like 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 8 that tell us how to position ourselves when we pray publicly, both in heart and who's to do the praying. Jesus's point is not against public prayer. Jesus is against performance prayer. We should be sure. That our prayer is genuine and sincere. It's the most serious conversation we can ever have. And we should get it right. Look at verse six. He says, when you pray, go into your room. The old King James has your closet. Shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. Now, Jesus is not lobbying that we make a room per se in and of itself, that you have to have this separate room. But he is saying, make sure that this is something intimate that is between you and between God. Maybe you've heard about the story in church history about Susanna Wesley. She was the mother of Charles and John Wesley. She had 19 children. She was running a mini daycare, I guess you could say, but she had 19 children and they had what was called her apron closet. When she was working with their kids throughout the day and she just couldn't get a break to pray, she just throw the apron over her head and break out into prayer. And over time, the children got the point. Whenever mom threw the apron over her head, don't talk to me. I'm praying. How's that for in her closet? Jesus says you need one of those. You and I need a place and a time where we can get off in quiet with God and pray to him. Pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Maybe people that were hearing this for the first time thought within themselves, if you remove the charade, if you remove the publicity, surely God won't hear. But Jesus says God is unseen and the unseen God can hear and see the unseen prayers. This forever dispels the myth. I know people sometimes have been frustrated and they've said, well, our country has gone haywire and they've taken prayers out of school. If we teach our children to pray like Jesus says we should in Matthew six and verse six, there's no school or government or country anywhere that can ever take prayer from us because we can pray in secret at any time and be sure that God always hears. 
Jesus says, when you pray, make sure to position yourself properly and do things in a way where God sees. But number two, Jesus says, when you pray, make sure that you avoid certain practices. In verse seven and verse eight, he says, and do not be like the Gentiles who love to heap up empty phrases for they think they'll be heard for their many words. Do not be like them for your heavenly father knows what you need before you ask him. These individuals believe that, you know what, the more we say, the more impressive we are and the more of an opportunity we have to be heard by God. Jesus says, don't stand and pray on the street corners like the hypocrites because they're acting, they're pretending in public. And someone may assume based on Jesus's words here, oh, I know the key to God's heart. The key to God's heart is carefully crafted language that will impress him. And Jesus says, don't think about that. Don't pray like the Gentiles do. They think they'll be heard for their many words. They thought it was all about quality. I mean, quantity and not quality. But, you know, in the wisdom literature of the Old Testament in Ecclesiastes five, two and three, it says, don't be rash with your mouth and be slow to utter anything before God. Remember, you're on earth and God's in heaven. Therefore, let your words be few for a fool is known by his much speaking. Jesus says, when you pray, it's not about how many phrases you can heap up. One commentator says that in the pagan world or in the ancient world, the pagans would be praying to their deities and they would try to offer up as many names of that God, that pagan God that they could think of in order to gain favor. They would even mention other sacrifices and favors that they had done for their God in the past as if they would be answered on some kind of contractual agreement. That is to say, God, please hear me and help me. Remember when I did this for you and remember when I did this for you. I want you to hear me and answer me. Jesus says your God is not like that and you don't have to approach him that way. When Elijah was in the battle with the false prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel in first Kings 18, verse 26 through 29 says that the 400 false prophets of Baal, they started in the morning. We don't know what time, but it went into the evening as they prayed and cried out to Baal and cut themselves and did all sorts of things to gain his attention. And he never answered. He wasn't there. And then Elijah, in a short and sincere and succinct prayer, reached up to the God of heaven and he was heard. Or when Paul was in Ephesus in Acts 19 and verse 34, for two hours, the people of Ephesus cried out, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And Paul stood there silently as if to say, if Artemis is so great, let her speak for herself. Two hours and no answer. And Jesus says, you don't have to heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles. They think that they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them. Your heavenly father knows what you have need of before you ask. Somebody might say, well, does this mean that I can't say the same things when I pray? Hold your hand in Matthew six and go over to Matthew 26. In Matthew 26, this is Jesus's prayer in Gethsemane. And you remember Jesus is heading to the cross. Matthew 26 and verse 39. Jesus says, father. If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And then in verse 42 of Matthew 26, Jesus says something similar. If I can't drink this cup unless it pass from me, nevertheless, let your will be done. And then in 44, Matthew says, Jesus said these very same words. Evidently, what Jesus says in verse seven of Matthew six, don't heap up empty phrases. It's not a command against saying the same thing. Jesus is not against repetition in our prayers. He's against vain repetition. When Jesus was preparing to head to Calvary, he prayed the very same thing. He said the very same words and he meant every word of it. But Jesus is saying, when you pray to God, don't just say things just to say them. Make sure that you're sincere. 
This isn't an argument really against the length of our prayers. It's more about the strength of our prayers. Stronger prayers aren't always longer prayers. Jesus is saying, focus on what you say to God because God's listening. And you don't have to pry the blessings out of his hands. Verse 8, Matthew 6 and verse 8, he already knows what you need before you ask. Just ask him. Think about all the powerful prayers in your Bible and mine that are short and to the point. The famous prayer of Jabez, they've written books about it, but it's only one verse. First Chronicles 4 and verse 10, he prayed for protection, for his territory to be broadened, for his life to be blessed, and God heard it. Think about Moses and his plea for the children of Israel, the entire nation. It's contained in two verses in Exodus 32, 31 and 32. God heard him and spared the entire nation. Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3, 14 through 19 is shorter than a sonnet, but is deeper than the ocean as he prayed for the Ephesians to know God deeply and intimately. And God was willing to hear and answer that prayer. God knows what we need. And Jesus says, avoid just saying things just to say them. Maybe we should evaluate our practices on prayer. Maybe we shouldn't just continue as we grow in Christ with the same memorized songs that we've learned as kids. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray to Lord my soul to keep. Or God is good. God is great. Lord, we thank you for this play. If we don't really mean it. And maybe the adult version, guard, guide, and direct us. There's nothing wrong with any of those phrases as long as we mean it. Somebody says, well, what if you strip all of that from our prayers? Well, here's the thing. In prayer, it's always better to be faithful instead of being flowery. To be sincere Rather than to be impressive, Jesus isn't concerned with how long we talk or how many words we can fit in. He's concerned with do we really mean what we say when we pray? Because we don't have to pry the blessings out of God's hands. In Luke 18, Jesus taught a parable that men should always pray and never lose heart. He said there was a judge in a city that didn't fear God or regard man. And there was a widow and she came to the judge saying, avenge me of my adversary. And he wouldn't for a while. And afterward, he said to himself, though I don't fear God or regard man yet, because this widow keeps bothering me, I will avenge her for her adversary, lest by her continual coming, she wear me down. Jesus says, do you hear what the unjust judge says? And will not God avenge his own elect, which cry to him day and night, though he suffers long with them? I tell you, he will avenge them speedily. But when he comes, will he find this kind of faith on the earth? Jesus is for us, praying persistently to God. But we need to mean every word of what we say. Pray and cry out to God, knowing that he hears and that he answers. Ask and seek and knock, Matthew 7, 7 through 11. But remember, your heavenly father and mine knows the difference between bread and a stone or a fish and a serpent. And he always gives the right thing. And so we don't have to heap up phrases. We can speak directly and clearly to God and say what's on our hearts and what's on our minds. And he receives it and he hears it. Jesus says, don't be like the pagans. Don't think that the quantity of your words improves their quality. Just speak to God from the heart. Say what you really mean, and God will hear that prayer. Here's the third thing Jesus teaches us about prayer. We need to picture God properly. Our Father, which is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus has said some things about what we're not to do. And now he transitions in verse nine and he says, when you pray, pray like this. It's interesting to observe. Jesus has just finished saying, don't pray vain repetitions. And people take this prayer that Jesus gives as a model and they turn it into a vain repetition. 
I know there's nothing wrong with saying these very words in this prayer, because in Luke 11 and verse two, Jesus says, when you pray, say this. And so you can say this prayer, provided that you mean it. But if we don't, we don't impress God by just reciting the Lord's prayer before bed or just as some memorized declaration. Jesus says, this is a model. These are components that should make up our prayer lives. And one of those things is view God the right way. How do you see God? It means all it makes all the difference in the world. How you pray to God. Is he our angry master, which art in heaven, our slave driver, which art in heaven, our condemner and our judge, which art in heaven. There's only one blank that can properly be filled in this regard when we pray. And if we don't get it right, we'll never pray as we should. Our father who is in heaven. It was Jesus's favorite designation for God. So far as I can tell, the only time, the first time that Jesus calls God, God and not father is on the cross when he says, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Every other time he called him my father. He says, you have that kind of access. We have that kind of access. Paul says he sent the spirit into our hearts, crying, Abba, father, Galatians four, six and seven. And that's how we should pray. Our father, We're on good speaking terms with God, and it makes a difference when we pray to view God as our heavenly father who wants to help us and aid us throughout our lives. But there's more. Look at the verse. Our father who is in heaven, hallowed or sanctified be your name. We should talk about God the way that the Bible does. You know, God's first name is not oh my, and his last name is not dog, darn or dang. We should treat God's name as holy and sanctified. Our father, which art in heaven, holy or sanctified or hallowed be your name. We can't just toss around his name flippantly. God's not a pushover. His name is to be set apart. He's the one that Isaiah saw that was high and lifted up. Isaiah six and verse one. He's the holy one, the redeemer of Israel. Isaiah 41 and verse 14. And Jesus says, when you pray, see him that way. When you approach God. Do it as the God who is high and holy and sovereign. And then he talked about the kingdom in verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I know the church is the kingdom, Colossians 1 and verse 13, but we can still pray this prayer. Because the kingdom is God's rule and reign in the lives of men and women. And that has not occurred everywhere. And so we still pray for God to reign in the lives of individuals as they submit to God as king and that his kingdom would cover the world. Jesus says, pray for that to be the case. View God properly as a king, as a God and who is in heaven. His name is sovereign. We want his reign to be throughout the world, not just in our lives, but in the lives of others as well. Jesus says, then petition God for your needs. We could summarize this in verses 11 through 13 by saying just this. We should view God properly. And then Jesus says, ask God for what you need. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we've forgiven those who are our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus says, ask God for what you need in prayer. He mentions three things, really. He says, I want you, you can pray to God for your physical sustenance, for what you need, your daily bread. This is probably looking back to Exodus 16 and the manna that was given on a daily basis. He says, you can pray to God for that. You can also pray to God that you would be forgiven. He says, pray that God will forgive us as we forgive others. We need that. Everybody who's ever committed a sin needs this in their prayers. And maybe we view this part of the prayer sometimes like direct deposit. You know, it's just there. You don't have to think about it. But it's probably more like the old school way of getting money into your account. 
You've got to sign the check and actually take it to the bank and cash it. And while it's true that the blood continues to cleanse us as we walk in the light, it's also true that we need to be saying to God, God, forgive me for my sins. We need to pray and ask for it. And we also need to pray that he would not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Who better to pray this to than the God who can't be tempted with evil? James one and verse 13. Aren't you glad that this is in the prayer? In the model that Jesus gave, it says to us that God wants us to care about spiritual, heavenly things. But he also cares about our earthly lives. He knows that we're human. And he says, guess what? You can pray to me. You can ask me for those things. One of the things that's true about biblical prayer is it includes your ability and mine to petition God for our request. At least as far as I'm concerned, one of the most impressive things that I saw last week or I would say that I heard last week was there was somebody, member of this congregation, and my memory slips me. I don't know who it was. They were taking somebody in through the clothing room to assist them with things that they needed. And on the way out, they said, look, we've got some lunch here. Would you like some? And they gave the person some lunch and they said, hey, there's some chips there. Would you like some chips? Person said, yes. They said, well, take some. Which ones would you like? Person said, give me any kind. They said, no, you've lost everything. You get to pick your chips. Everybody has a favorite chip. You get to pick your chips. You pick which ones you want. And, you know, sometimes God and his sovereignty He says, I'm the God of all blessings, but you get to pick your chips. You get dignity as a person. That person was saying in that moment, I don't remember who it was, but they were saying, listen, you're not just some charity case who's lost value. You matter. You count. You see you're seeing your love. You get to pick. And sometimes when we pray to God, God says, frame up the petition. Pray according to my will and trust it to me. But you have special requests. You have things that you want done. You have things that you would like to see done in your life. And God says, sometimes I let you pick. Pray specifically for your needs and God will answer your request. Jesus says you should ask. You could boil these down to the three P's. We need physical provision. We need pardon. And then we need protection. We need to include this in our prayers. There's a temptation, isn't there? Some of us may have our freezer stocked for two months and we skip the daily bread. Beware of arrogance. Everything that we have comes from God. You may say, well, I haven't sinned in a long time. And so I'll skip the forgiveness. Beware of ignorance. It'll damn your soul. First John one says we sin in the very denial of sinning when we say we don't have a sin problem. We may be overly self-confident and say, you know what? I'm spiritual. I'm not really worried about temptation. Pray to be delivered from evil because the devil has pitfalls for us around every corner. Jesus says you need to be praying that God would deliver you from evil. You need these things. Part of prayer is to petition God for your needs, physical and spiritual. Jesus says when you pray, say these things. Here's the last thing Jesus teaches us about when we pray. Practice what you need. He says, if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your heavenly father forgive your trespasses. He had already mentioned the need for forgiveness in verse 12, but he circles back to it right before he transitions to talk about fasting. He gets back to this one regard. When we pray to God. We need to make sure that we first forgive. God's a forgiving God. Hebrews 8 and verse 12, he says, I'll be merciful to your unrighteousness, your sins, your iniquities. I'll remember no more. But though God is forgiving, there are prerequisites for his forgiveness, one of which is be willing and ready to forgive others. The New Testament says we're to pray for our enemies. God sends rain on the just and on the unjust. His sun rises on the evil and the good. Matthew 5, 43 to 48. We should love our enemies, but also pray for them. 
and we should forgive. This part of the sermon is easy to preach, and it's easy to amen this part of the sermon until you really have an enemy. Until you really have a grievance, until somebody really gets under your skin. And then the Bible says, you've got to forgive them. People that don't struggle with this, they say, well, I just easily forgive. This is no problem. They have never really been wronged or hurt deeply by somebody. And then those who refuse to submit and obey this teaching have forgotten how much they've been forgiven. To fail to forgive is to burn down the very bridge that all of us must cross again ourselves. Be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. If any has a quarrel against any, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you, Ephesians 4.32, Jesus says, be sure to forgive and be quick to do so. The day will come, if it hasn't already, that people in this world and in your life will hurt you. The day will come when your spouse will crush you. Your children will say things you've never thought that they would ever say. The world in its wickedness and in its weakness will let you down. A job will be disloyal to you. And it's in that moment that the devil will sell this lie to your heart if you'll buy it. You've been a good person. You've been well behaved. You've been loyal. You've been faithful. You have the right to hold a grudge. You don't have to forgive. Don't be a pushover. Don't let people get over on you like that. And in the moment that we accept that, it's in that very moment that we have only two options left. Number one, we can live sinlessly perfect and never need the forgiveness of God again or forever forfeit the possibility of God forgiving us. Jesus says you need to forgive. And we can get fancy and say, well, have they repented yet? Or, you know what, I've forgiven you, I love you, but I don't like you. Or we can just do what Jesus says and really forgive from the heart. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments, even the hard ones. And sometimes that means getting on our knees and praying to God to help us forgive what we may very well believe is unforgivable. In Matthew 18, Jesus told a parable about a man who owed a large sum of debt. If he lived 10 lifetimes, he could never pay off the debt. He begged and pleaded and his master forgave him his great debt. He went out to a man that owed him far less, took him by the neck and said, pay me all. Jesus told that parable to say, that's how we look when we don't forgive other individuals who have hurt us. And God's forgiven us such a great debt. Before we extend the invitation, I want to make three really brief practical lessons that we learn from this. Number one, prayer reveals our heart. Prayer shows us who we really are. If we're hypocritical, if we're insincere, if we're just going through the motions in a show, prayer shows us who we really are. Our hearts are displayed when we pray and talk to God, especially in private. What we pray about reveals what's most important to us. What we fail to pray about, what we fail to emphasize to God shows what we really don't care about. If we won't talk to God about it, it doesn't mean that much to us. Prayer says what's really in your heart and what's in mine. What matters the most in the world to us is what we talk to God about. Number two. All prayer is not created equally. Sometimes people say, well, just pray to God. Just talk to God. According to Jesus, there are some thou shall nots in prayer, some things we can't do and be acceptable to God as we pray. Jesus says all prayer is not the same. The only prayers that God accepts are those that are offered in Jesus's name that are according to his will, based on individuals who have forgiven others who have wronged them because they need the very same thing. And then in the third place, prayer is more about beholding God than it is about bossing God. Prayer is not the spiritual vending machine where we put in the cold and hope the prize comes down. And if it doesn't, we just shake and kick the machine until we get what we want. Prayer is about beholding who God is, our father who is in heaven. Jesus refers to God directly or indirectly 10 to 13 times in these verses, because in the end, 
Prayer is about conversing with the God who rules the world and hoping that we can get his will done on earth and not necessarily always get our will done in heaven. Prayer is about us being changed and not so much about us changing God. We really need Jesus as our example. We need him in every area of life, but especially in prayer. Jesus says, here's how it's done. Keep it simple. Keep it sincere. And God will hear and honor. I don't know how many times in your life between now and the judgment that you'll pray to God. But hopefully God gets used to hearing our voice. And then one day, if we're found faithful, we'll hear his for the very first time audibly, as he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Jesus teaches us how to pray. He teaches us how to live. And he ultimately teaches us how to die and rise again. Maybe tonight someone needs to obey the gospel and put on baptism so that then they can cry out and call out to God as their father who is in heaven. We would love to help you to do that or to study with you in private to help you get to that point of belief and ultimately submission and obedience. If we can pray with you or pray for you tonight, we would love to do that as well. There's been a song selected to encourage us. If you need to respond, come now as together we stand and as we sing.